The 42nd Psalm, would you please? I want to talk about tonight a song sung in despair. He killed himself in April at the age of 27. His music was rife with despair. His name was Kurt Cobain. People Magazine called him the, the person who represented the anger and the alienation of Generation X. Said People Magazine, Cobain was described as typifying his peers' despairing response to their dim prospects after our generation had raped the planet. He exemplified, quote, the emptiness that many in our generation feel, the lack of importance we place on life. He was a heroin addict and an alcoholic. He had a history of vandalizing cars and defacing buildings. His wife, alternative rock singer Courtney Love said, we bonded over pharmaceuticals. His occupation was the posthumous voice of Generation X. Before that, Nirvana's profoundly talented lead singer. He embodied the profoundly significant rock music style known as grunge. His most telling song title, I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. The song was dropped from his last album. Cobain explained, I'm thought of as this expletive, complaining, freaked out schizophrenic who wants to kill himself all the time. I thought it was a funny title. His most poetic line from Heart-Shaped Box was this word, this line. I was drawn into your magnet tar pit trap. I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. Whatever that means. His reason for death, quote from his suicide note, the worst crime I can think of would be to put people off by faking it and pretend as if I was having fun. End of quote. He sang in despair. Thousands of years before Kurt Cobain, a man sang a song of despair. It's the 42nd Psalm. Much unlike Kurt Cobain was the person who sang this song. Now, I want you to look at the top of the title, Psalm 42. For the choir director, does that have, does that, have that in your Bible? For the choir director, a masculine, of the sons of Korah. Y'all have that? This is yes. Okay, many of you do. Now, a masculine is a teaching. It means a teaching instrument or a or a teaching means, a method of teaching, or a thing taught. The sons of Korah 
were a group of um, a family of troubadours, a family of singers, and they passed down from generation to generation so that this is a song to teach us something that had been, that had been given to this family of troubadours. It's a song about the exile of David as he fled the pursuing King Saul, or it is about, not just about David, but about the exile experience. So it, is, it was given in order to teach us something from the experience of David's exile. Now what was it that it was trying to teach us? Well, there is a oft-recurring uh, phrase in this psalm. It's within me. Why are you disquieted within me? Why is there so much despair within me? So really what this is, is a, is a teaching concerning how to deal with despair or depression. I want you to read it with me. Verse chapter 40, Psalm 42. A teaching on how to deal with depression. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my so God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and all thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forsake, forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries, they revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. If you read the Psalms, it's surprising how much the Psalms talk about depression. Surprising because we've had the idea that God's people are exempt from despair. It's a bad, bad conclusion to arrive at. Charles Spurgeon was perhaps the greatest preacher ever preached in the English language, constantly battled depression, 
He referred to the despair of his soul as frightening fits. And he would enter these moments of darkness called frightening fits, deep despair. The greatest preacher that Europe had ever known, perhaps it's ever preached in the English language, would have to come to America and for long periods he'd deal with this frightening fits of deep despair. He thought he was a failure. He never felt successful. When he died of the gout at the age of 58, he had inscribed on his tomb when this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Now, if his sermons were poor, lisping, stammering tongues, how I long for a poor, lisping, stammering tongue. But he never felt like he was successful. J.H. Jowett, that I quote often from this pulpit, one of England's great preachers at the first of this century, had what he called shadows in his life. And long before the movie came out, he talked about shadow lands that he would enter, darkness, periods of darkness, and he said, I long to come to the light. It is amazing how much we have experienced depression ourselves and how much depression attacks the people of God. There are times when we wake up and it seems like God is a million miles away. Now I know this tonight, and I want to say up front, I know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that some depression, much depression is physiological and uh, related to uh, chemical imbalances, and no amount of um, sermons preached are going to do any. Is going to really help those who have chemical depression. You're going to need to get medication for that. But the kind of depression that the psalmist deals with here, or this masquil deals with, is circumstantial depression, spiritual depression, and he gives us four suggestions of how to deal with it. Number one. The first thing you do, I do, the psalmist does, is you talk to your soul instead of letting your soul talk to you. Now the interesting thing about this psalm is that he addresses his soul. I think he's talking about here, what's happening here is he's referring to this inner voice that goes on in the, inside of us all the time, this inner dialogue. It's what I call the guiding fiction. It's this stuff that just keeps going on inside of us that talks to us. And he says, you've got to take charge and talk to your soul. What happens when depression comes is that we become introverted and we begin to listen to these, this inner dialogue called by the psalmist, the language of the soul. Does your soul talk to you? Mine talks to me. And usually it talks in negative language. Tells me how ugly I am and how fat, you know. You're a failure. Because that, that's the way you're, you know, I heard about a guy who, who a fellow came up to him one day, he said, you're ugly. And the guy said, well, I'm going to get a second opinion. He said, okay, I'll give you one. You're stupid as well. I mean, that's kind of the way my soul talks to me. I mean, it just keeps telling me how bad I am. Nobody likes you. Look at those people over there. They're talking about you. 
Heard about a guy who couldn't go to a football game because every time they huddled up, they thought he was talking, they were talking about him. I mean, it's just like paranoia. And this inner dialogue, this guiding fiction just keeps saying how terrible, how bad, how much a failure. What a gloom, doom voice is the inner dialogue of the soul. And what the psalmist is saying is this. You need to start taking charge to tell your soul what to say. Now, for example, I want you to look at Psalm 103 and 104. Look at this amazing thing. Psalm 103 and 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I mean, he's telling his soul what to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Same thing in, in, in Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know what the psalmist is saying? Listen to me. He's saying it's time you stop telling yourself how bad you are and begin to tell God how good he is. In other words, sometimes we just have to get a grip on things and, and do some interrogation with our inner voice, our inner dialogue. Where, does the, where do these thoughts come from? And where does this negative language come from? Well, I want you to go back with me to Psalm 42. And it gives us a clue. He says, first of all, that this language of the soul begins with a conscience, with a conscience absence of God. This is what he says. As the heart pants after the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. The problem is, can't find him. Now the desert was never made for the deer, and the deer was never made for the desert. The deer's not like a camel. A camel can live in a desert and go for days without water, not so a deer. A deer has to drink often during the day. And he's saying in essence that, that my soul is like this, my life is like this. I, I've gone for days and not be aware of God's presence. You can't live like that. You and I were so constructed and so designed that we have to live in the conscious presence of God or, we plunge, or we're plunged into despair. You can't live without a sense of his presence. You need to check out today. How conscious are you of God? I mean, where is he in your life? Have you shut him out? Have you excluded him? Have you gone day after day after day without even practicing his presence, without even spending time in his word? You can't live like that. It'll lead, it leads to darkness. And the second reason for the soul talking to him like that, he said, is the negative language of my friends. He said, people keep telling me, keep asking me, where is your God? The negative language of friends. I don't know about you, but I can't live around negative folks too long. You hang around negative people, godless people, what happens? You become negative and godless. You hang around folks who have a question about the reality of God, His goodness or whatever, it doesn't take you long to begin to, be, to become discouraged and depressed. If you want to get depressed, you just spend some time with negative, godless people. 
That's part of what's involved here. But I think a second thing involved here is this, is that you've got all these people saying, where is your God? In essence, there are people crying out in despair. You can't fix everybody's problems for them. There are folks who, don't under, who, who can't feel God's presence, who, are, who are, are living in the darkness. You'd like to answer their questions. You can't answer everybody's questions. The burdens of deity are too heavy to bear. You can't be God to everybody. It's what we call codependencies involved here. He's trying to fix everybody's problems, answer everybody's questions. No wonder he's plunged into despair. There are people all around him saying, I need God and can't find him. Can't fix everybody's problems. All right, second. You dwell on the God who is present rather than the things that are past. So he says in verse 4, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. I used to go along. He starts, you know, reminiscing. He must be 55 when he writes this. And he's reminiscing about the good old days. He talks about, I remember, man, when we used to just, you know, go to church and we'd, you know, gather after church, somebody's house and eat homemade, you know, that kind of stuff. I remember how it used to be, saying. I remember when all my children were home and everybody was happy and everything was great. I remember all those wonderful things that used to be. Things now are different. That's what he's saying. And I'm about to thinking about all the things that used to be, the psalmist says, when we used to come to church in throngs, everybody was celebrating, it was a, it was a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a festival of praise, and I got to thinking about the past and got depressed. Who doesn't? You get to thinking about what you used to could do and what you used to do and how much fun it used to be, and now, you know, you're getting old and things are changing and things are different. Living in the past. But notice the difference in verse 6. Look at this. Oh my God, I, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember, what does it say in your Bible? I remember thee. Now here's the difference. He stopped recalling past events that were dead and gone. He stopped recalling the things that, that used to be, the joys that he used to experience in the activities and the events of the past. And he began to focus on the God who never changes. And where he was saying, I remember these things, he shifted to I remember thee. And when we take our eyes off of a changing past and put them on an unchanging God, something good starts to happen. So he says, I remember, I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Let me tell you what that means. He's saying... Uh, the, the land of the Jordan symbolizes victory and, 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 and the celebration of triumph. And, 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 and the peaks of, of, of Hermon are the high times in life. And, and Mount Mizor was this little, little bitty hill that was there in, the, in, in that ancient world symbolizing the low times. And this is what he's saying. This is how you get over depression. You remember the God of the highs and lows. You remember the God is faithful. 
in the great peaks of life and in the valleys of life, for he never changes. Number three, you understand that the reasons for hope are greater than the reasons for despair. Now sometimes we have a good reason for depression. Um, you can't live too long in this life and not realize that some folks have reason for depression. I mean, discouragement, despair. How do you live in the presence of death for days and weeks and feel good about that? How do you, how do you lose your health and, 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 and feel happy about it? I mean, you can't. There are reasons for depression and despair, and you need to give yourself permission to grieve and to feel this despair. You just need to do it the right amount of time. The greater the tragedy, the difficulty, the more time you need to deal with it. I mean, just because the rockets got beat the other night, I mean, you don't want to spend a couple of months you know, grieving over that. Or that Jimmy Johnson got fired. I mean, come on, give me a break. Get over that little joke. But whatever reason you have to be depressed, the reason for hope is greater. Can I say that again? Whatever reason you have to be discouraged, the reason for hope is greater. Now, he said, I want you to hope, he's talking to his, to his soul, he said, you need to hope in God for three reasons. Number one, your life belongs to him. Your life belongs to him. You are, the inherit you are his inheritance. You, you belong to him, and because you belong to him, he's going to protect you and preserve you, and he's going to perfect you. You're his possession. That's reason to hope. The second reason to hope is found in verse 7. This is the reason you have to hope, because your problems belong to him. Look at verse 7 with me. All thy breakers and all thy waves have rolled over me. Now this is the uh, metaphor of a man drowning. And he's in this, uh, you know, torrent of water and the waves are just coming over him. It's like waves of despair and heartache and problems and, and difficulties just roll over him, wave after wave. And about the time he gets his breath, another one comes. And just one right after another. Sound like anybody you know? But notice how he defines these waves and breakers. He calls them thy waves and thy breakers. You think you've got problems? They're not your problems. They're his problems. You think you've got waves of difficulty sweeping over your life. They're not your difficulties. They're His. And every problem that comes in life and every difficulty that brings despair he's, belongs to Him. And He per, has permitted it to happen or it wouldn't have happened. But it's in His hands of control. Third my future belongs to him. Look at verse 11. 
Why are you in despair? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. I may not praise Him now, but I will praise Him because I know that my future belongs to Him. All right, number four. The way we work our way out of depression is by keeping on offering our hope in God in spite or affirming our hope in God in spite of repeated failure. We keep on affirming our hope, our confidence in God in spite of what just keeps on happening. Though he slay me, I still trust him. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and find the book of Habakkuk. It's in there. And uh, you might want to check the index, but you'll find it over in the Old Testament just before the book of Matthew. I know some of you are afraid you couldn't find it, so you're not going to look. You, you find Matthew and work to the left, and you can get Habakkuk. I want you to read with me the last three verses of Habakkuk. Now, how many of you have a New American Standard Bible? Hold it up here, I want to see. Hold it up, yes. Yes, sir. Now, so those of us who have the main book here, the, the, the stuff, we're going to read this together, and the rest of you are going to watch, you're going to listen, listen in. I want you to read with me, beginning at verse 17 of Habakkuk. Now, what I want you to do is make this your commitment and prayer. Listen to this. Say it with me. Though the fig tree... Okay. Uh, maybe I didn't give instructions right. Now, you're going to read it out loud. That's, that's what I, I failed to say that. You're going to read it out loud. Verse 17. Everybody ready? Here we go. Did I, did I miss something back? Pardon me? Okay. All right, here we are. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet will I exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds' feet, and makes me walk on my high places. Wow! You know what a hinds is? H-I-N-D-S? It's a deer. It's like a, it's like a mountain deer that, that can scale the highest peaks. And they, they live on the, up in the heights and the rocks. And they just are so... Uh, uh, let, me, let me see. The other day I was uh, uh, going down Evergreen. It was uh, like uh, Friday... And uh, folks were coming in from the country uh, in trucks, 
pick up trucks and stuff to the market. And I saw this guy coming down the street. He had a big old black dog standing up on the toolbox of this, this uh, <laughs> truck. And he was tooling down uh, Evergreen. I mean, just, you know, jogging here and there. And that old dog was, up, yeah, you tell me how a dog can stand up on a toolbox going 50 miles an hour, making turns and stops, and it just kind of, just kind of <laughs> floating along there, and never slid. I mean, I'm riding along behind and watching them say, I, I guarantee, I'm thinking to myself, that dog is going to wind up in somebody's front yard, never, never, never budged. That's what, he makes my feet like hinds feet. He puts me in those high places, those dangerous places, those slippery places, and I never slip. Now watch this. If I go broke tonight, he said, if I get sick and I'm going to die and I lose every friend I have, is not going to change my confidence in God. Because this God, I'm going to affirm this faith, this God has secured me in this life, and I'm not going to budge one inch. You need to say that today, and you need to say it tomorrow. And when the trials come, you need to say it again and again. It's the only way you'll survive despair. Let's pray. Our Father, help us not to be like Kurt Cobain, but like the psalmist who in the midst of loss affirmed his faith and believed that his problems were your problems, his trials were yours, with a faith that never wavered. God, give us that kind of faith. For I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. There might be someone tonight in this service who would like to make a public uh, decision, take a, take a step for Christ. You've heard God speaking to your spirit, your heart today. You'd like to respond in a positive way while we stand and sing. We invite you to do so.